Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's up, Timeline? I'm screenwriter Cord Jefferson. Make sure you subscribe and listen to the Watch Less podcast hosted by Cal and Frazier. All right, welcome back to Watch Less. Nothing but illustrious guests on this show. We always talk about this elusive spreadsheet with all the names that we have for guests on the pod. Core Jefferson, this this man, this writer, has been on the come up for a minute. And his, his name was on it early, way early. Early. Super early. When I did the interview, it was like, as great as it was to put that into a text piece, it was almost like, damn, this this conversation could have easily just been a podcast. And that was when we were still working on putting this out. It's like, oh, man, I wish we were up and running already. Damn, you're right. The timeline would have been a couple of, it literally would have been like weeks off or whatever, but forget all that because the man is here today. Core Jefferson has been doing a lot of things that we've been interested in for, you know, a good amount of time. I think for the last like five, six years, a, minute. a, lot, of, a lot of his work has really been, uh, you know, making it the rounds to our, to what we're watching consistently. He worked on the night show with Larry Wilmore. Shouts out to Wilmore, the guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, jumped from there to master a nun over on Netflix. Another acclaimed show, if you will, then went to NBC with one of uh, Frazier's favorite shows, the good place where he did a lot yes. of work over there and then hopped to HBO with one of 2019's, Best shows, I think. If I recall, Frazier, we we called Watchmen our best show of 2019, right? Wow. Well, there, then we also had Succession up there too, which Court also worked on. So it's yeah, a, it's yeah, a twofer right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot going on there. <laughs> Not only did he have one of the best shows of 2019, but I think arguably he he wrote one of the best episodes of television in 2019. That Thank extraordinary you. being from uh, Watchmen, Court Jefferson. Welcome to the Watch Less Podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thank you so much for having me. I'm oh, honored no to be here. No problem. Again, I know Fraser spoke with you back. Yeah, we did an interview in the fall. Yeah. It was like before. Yeah. It was like around Watchmen with the, around the time the episode aired. Yeah. Yeah. Last year. It's cool to go from an episode that we have a feeling is going to have an impact and talking about it and then seeing it erupt kind of, you know, and knowing full well that like, all right, we're editing this piece is going to go up. People, they, they've got stuff to dig into once, you know, the episode goes up, but actually seeing 
the way people reacted to that episode where you literally, you know, you, you crafted an origin story for, you know, a black superhero, like, you know, ha talk about what, what has been after this episode airs and the reaction that, and the acclaim that, you know, the, this episode of Watchmen got. Right. Because before we, we spoke, actually, I think it was before it aired and you were kind of anxious about how people were going to receive it. Yeah, I was super nervous, man. <laughs> I, was, I still am. <laughs> I'm nervous all the time about it. I think that, you know, that episode, just even when we wrote the script, when I was looking at it on paper, it takes a lot of big swings. It's a crazy script. You know, there's a lot of stuff that happens. There's a lot of stuff that you're trying to cram into an hour of television. All credit due to Stephen Williams, who directed it and Joven and Daniel Deadweiler and um, Regina King, who did incredible jobs in it. So I saw the, you know, I was in the screening when we, when we first watched it and seeing how the script translated to the screen was great, but, you know, I was blown away, but, but I have no idea how an audience is going to react. And so I loved it, but that doesn't mean that everybody else who watches it is going to love it. And so I was terrified up until, like, the night that it aired – I was in New York because I was traveling for Thanksgiving. I was in New York with a friend and I made him go out to dinner with me and we just both shut off our phones so we couldn't look at anything while it was airing because I didn't want to I didn't want to look at Twitter. I didn't want to like look at email. I just wanted it to air without without freaking out about it. And you know, the response that we've gotten on that episode has been great and it feels incredibly gratifying because I think that you know, it's great when it's great when anybody likes what you do and, and I, I appreciate any response to any work that I've done, but that one felt a, a little bit close to home for me. And I, you know, it was a, a lot of blood, sweat and tears went into that. And it was, it was a passion project, but also, you know, like I said, it was, there was a lot of big swings. There was a lot of stuff there that, that, that people who were fans of the original book could have found issue with and maybe hated. There was a lot of things that people who were a fan of the show might not have liked. I think that, that that episode of the series sort of did a lot of lifting when it came to the other the other storylines. I've talked to people who who've told me that, you know, that they watched the first half of that of that show and were like, okay, this is interesting. I don't know where a lot of this stuff is going, but like it's interesting. And so they kept watching. And then I think episode six is where where sort of a lot of that started to click into place and you started to understand where the season was going and why, why the things, why, why what was happening was happening. And so I think that if that episode had not worked, Damon actually told me when, <laughs> when I turned in the script to him, Damon said, he said, if, if this episode doesn't work, I think we're kind of screwed. Yeah, exactly. A horrifying thing for your boss to say. It was like, no pressure at all. And I was yeah. like, damn, man, I wish you hadn't said that. But, you know, I think that, 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 that it was kind of true that if six hadn't worked, it sort of a, lo a lot of the season might have might have been in jeopardy. But we're, we're sort of we're, we're really lucky that it was received the way that it was. It's actually funny you say that because randomly on This Is Us's most recent season, there's a scene with Sterling and his wife played by Susan Kalichi Williams, and she's watching Watchmen. She's like, oh, I'm on six. It's all starting to make sense finally. It's like a fun throwaway <laughs> joke. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I had no idea. That's great. <laughs> How are you feeling about the show now overall, now that the dust has kind of settled? I'm incredibly proud of it, man. I'm incredibly proud of it. It was... Certainly the the hardest room that I've ever been in, the hardest show that I've ever worked on. It was, you know. Just in we, terms we, of the 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 nature of, of the stuff you were unpacking? 
Yeah, I mean, well, that's the first, I mean, there's just a ton of third rail issues that we address in that show. We deal with, you know, reparations and Mm -hmm. racial trauma and sexual violence. And there's just, I mean, there's just so much stuff that we, that we threw into that show that is, it was, you know, it made for a lot of interesting, serious, I mean, there was never arguments in the writer's room, but there were certainly like very serious, intense conversations Mm -hmm. amongst the people in that room. And it took us 18 months to write. I was, uh, you know, most most writers' rooms. You'll there's a lot of writers' rooms these days that last 20 weeks, and you yeah. write the whole season in 20 weeks. You know, we we took we took 18 months, close to two years, writing that. I started working on that show in 2017. Wow! So it's like there was a lot of time that we spent writing and and rewriting and and breaking and rebreaking the stories for that show. So it was. It was it was a lot of it was a big labor of love for the people that were working on it, and I think that to work on something like that, you want it to you know, like I said, anything that you work on, you want to be well received, and you hope people are gonna hope people are gonna like it. Mm-hmm. But this one sort of I think was extra special just because of all the time and energy that, that we all put into it. Now, is that a situation too on set where the writers often visit the set? It's like you mentioned Stephen Williams too, and his directing is a big part of like tying that episode together. So were you on set for that as well? Or I wish I couldn't, those? I couldn't go because I was back on good place. Uh, while I got so I had to leave and, and work on good place. So while we were working on good place was when they shot that episode and Damon went out, Damon went out for like the first three days of the shoot, which Damon really never does. Damon likes to just leave it up to the directors. He doesn't really like to be on set that much. Mm-hmm. And so but he, because he knew this episode was was special and important, like as as far as it related to how the season was going to fit together, he went out and, and put himself on set for a few days. And I would see dailies every day, and so the dailies started to hype me up, and I got really excited for what we were doing based on just the dailies alone. And I was like, damn, it's really, it feels like it's really coming together. Yeah. But I couldn't be there. I, I would have killed to be there. Would you call this like one of your? I don't want to say like the most important thing you've written to date, but like c- certainly like a moment in your it career. Might be. I mean, it, 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 I think the hyperbole might be warranted here, though. <laughs> you know? I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I've worked on a few shows uh, that that all of which are special to me for different reasons. I would say that, but this episode, this episode meant a lot to me, not just because of the subject matter, which is you know. I feel like generational trauma is important. I, mm-hmm. you know, I I don't know how you can be a black person in America and not feel like generational trauma is important is an yeah. important story, like, story to you. I feel like you know it's, it's something that I feel like affects the community in a very real way. And so if it's not something that you're paying attention to, you should sort of read more history. Mm-hmm. But I think that the, the the besides all that, besides just sort of the nature of the episode and the, the content of it, it was one of the first episodes that I sort of really had a big hand in, like you know. Damon and I looked at all the casting together and Damon and I talked about uh, what, what direction was going to look like for the episode with Steven and Damon and I were talking about sort of costume design. It was sort of very sort of like hands-on with Damon as to what, as to what the episode was going to look like and feel like just, uh, just besides, you know, some shows you work on and you just hand in your script and that's, that's basically it. And, and mm-hmm. you turn in your script and, and a director takes it and does with it what they want to do with it. And that's fine. But this one, this one would just, I had a I had a lot more hand in 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 deciding 
some of the sort of more creative elements of it besides just the writing. It's dope. Now you mentioned when we talked that, like you said, because of uh, your commitments to Good Place, that you actually had to depart the writers' room when they were breaking seven and eight. So you kind of yeah. got to watch those episodes alongside us, right? Yeah, yeah, eight and nine. I was there. Yeah. I was there for like basically through seven, but then eight and nine, I had no idea what was really going to happen, particularly in nine. And so yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to just experience the way everybody else. Ex- Damon had sent me the scripts. Before, but I but I hold I held off on reading them because I wanted to experience the show. <laughs> oh, with wow. else. What's your take then? How oh man, I loved it. it. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it so much. I think that you know there were like when when I left there was a there was a few different there was a few different endings on the table that were being mm. discussed, and so everybody was. I knew that they were going to sort of have to gut it out and decide which one they wanted because you know there was a few different a few different endings all of which were, were good for, for, for their own reasons, their own different way. Mm-hmm. But I was really happy with, with the one that they decided to go with. And I, yeah, I mean, I loved it. I'm, I still get into arguments with people about whether or not she got Dr. Manhattan's powers. I don't know. Well, that's a good, that's, I'm glad you said that because it kind of opened up this big thing. Well, first, I guess I have to ask, do you agree with, you know, what Damon's been saying about the, the talk about a season two? Like, do you feel like that was a, an ending ending and it should, stop there or kind of go on in some different iteration or what? I mean, it's, it's, it's Damon's baby. And so far be it for me to, to try to, to try to go against what Damon says. It's, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's his and, and uh, well, you know, at the end of the day, this, this particular iteration of Watchmen is his, mm-hmm. obviously it's Alan Moore's and it's, and it's mm-hmm. Zack Snyder's and everybody sort of can take Watchmen and do with it what they want to do with it. So I think that this iteration, though, is Damon's, and if he says that he wants to, he wants to bring it to an end, then he can bring it to an end. I would say, though, that you know, yeah, I, but just as a fan of the show, besides somebody who worked on the show, I would love to see what happens with with Sister Knight and Angela Abar, and like what whether yeah. or not she gets those powers, and even if she doesn't get the powers, I would love to see where her life goes, just because I think the characters are so compelling and interesting people. So, just yeah. as a fan of television and a fan of that of, of of this book in general, I think I would love to see so see where else it could go. But at the same time, I also understand what this took out of Damon and what this took out of the other writers in the room. So I'm also sort of, you know, I think that I'm not going to name names, but I think that I think that everybody in this room probably could speak to some shows that outstayed their welcome. That mm-hmm. that you know, sort of like you were like, why you didn't need this other season? You didn't need two more seasons. You could have told your story in mm-hmm. three seasons or two seasons or one season sometimes. And so I, so, so I sort of respect Damon's decision to say like, I told the story that I want to tell and now I'm leaving. I, I, I think that more people should probably do that from time to time. If, if, if you want to name names of what shows you think overstay <laughs> their welcome, you know, I have no Absolutely problem. Absolutely not. <laughs> I have no problem not having that conversation not at all. <laughs> no, I, 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 st- I want to get hired, man. <laughs> is that, is, is, big is that a code once you enter the Writers Guild? <laughs> yeah, it should be. <laughs> Everything's good. Yeah, I loved everything. Yeah, it's all awesome. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you brought that up, though, because just yesterday, actually, Vanity Fair, Maureen Ryan over there, ran an interesting piece that a couple of your old bosses were quoted in, Damon and Mike Schur. And mm. it was about the kind of shrinking effect that streaming has has had on TV in a sense mm. where it's not always a situation with Damon creatively making this the decision to just end after nine episodes or go for one more season or whatever. And that the new business model is almost creating a situation where most shows don't really get to live past 
three seasons with this kind of short change in the audience, especially when you look back at some of our most classic shows and whether it's something like Cheers or yeah. something like Lost, you know, when you look at what they both achieved well into their runs, like seasons five and Kirstie Alley, she came in what, like season seven of Cheers mm-hmm. or something like that? Yeah. It was a while, yeah. So it's a really interesting discussion that's going on right now about, you know, kind of what the state of the industry is almost in terms of that longevity question. Yeah, man. I think that that is a shame. And I I also think that it is a shame that, you know, how many shows, how many shows sort of have you seen that, that don't really sort of hit their stride until season two? Yeah. I think that, I think that, I think that a lot of, I think that there's a lot of great television shows that really, you know, needed to find themselves in season one and figure out who these characters were and figure out the stories that they wanted Mm -hmm. to tell. I think that, you know, I'm rewatching The Wire right now. And like The Wire season one is, The Wire season one is great. Don't get me wrong. But like Wire season three and Wire season four, like those are incredible. Those are incredible seasons, right? Like they're just, they're probably in my mind, some of the best seasons of television ever written ever. And so I think that, like letting people we are in like right now everybody's in such a rush to present new things constantly like you know shouts to netflix like shouts to everybody doing doing what they need to do but it's like everybody's in a rush to say like here's a new show here's a new show here's a new show here's a new show that i feel Mm -hmm. like if you gave other shows time to mature and like grow into themselves and figure out what it is they want to be you might get a lot of great material that you're missing out on otherwise by canceling shows um, after one season or canceling shows yes. after two seasons or three seasons, you know, not that, you know, if a show is not finding itself by season three, okay. Like I understand <laughs> maybe then, but, but, yeah. but sort of the shortening of everything just because of the, the streaming stuff, I didn't read that article, so I don't know exactly what the argument being made in it is, but yeah, I think that, I think that this, I will say that the rush to, the rush to present new stuff instead of fostering and sort of like helping, helping grow the stuff that already exists is something that I think is, you know, I feel like that's a, it's, that's a, that's a problem with, I think in every sort of art form, right? Like I was, I was talking with my friends the other day about like, about like Tribe Called Quest. And I feel like Tribe Called Quest, Tribe Called Quest didn't really break through until like their third album. Imagine it, like imagine if, Imagine if Tribal Quest yeah. record label dropped them after their first record, right? Like, imagine if they were like, "Yeah, this doesn't work. We don't see it." Yeah, exactly, right? Like, what, like what happens? Like, how much great music <laughs> do you miss out on if if you just like abandon people when they're just starting out and trying to find their voice? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and it's rough because you know that uh, I don't I don't want to get Corey Jefferson in trouble, <laughs> but like you know that there's money out there because again, like you said, there's because of demand. There's so much new content coming out every time there's a new streaming service there's at least a dozen you know new original pieces of content so the money's there you would just hope that there was a person or a decision made to let some things breathe and again like you said if we're if we're getting if we're midway season two and it's kind of like why the what's the point yeah you know get off the pot but if something's if, if it's finding its legs and there's a dedicated audience you would hope that you know, in today's climate, they would allow things like that to gestate like they do, you know, this the quick creation of, of newer things for, exactly. for a lot of these services. Exactly. The Watchmen finale also brought up a, a conversation that always comes up around finales too, which is kind of like this fun debate about 
what's a cliffhanger and what's like a just an ending that ended you know at a place that didn't give you a perfect answer you yeah know, it kind of goes back to the sopranos and stuff like that and i always mm-hmm. argue with people about who want to watch in season two that it's kind of like you know i get it but that wasn't necessarily a cliffhanger like it's definitely an ending to that story yeah besides to stay there exactly and i think that you know if you're going into a damon lindelof project you have to expect that all of your questions are not going to be answered like that's just that's how he rolls right like yes. he you know yeah. leftovers leftovers finale if, I, I don't know if you guys are like leftovers Classic. finale leaves like mm-hmm. a huge lingering question in the last episode right like was she lying or not did she actually go to the other side yes. or not yes and mm-hmm. you know that's something that that is not answered for the audience and i just think that this is what he does and this is this is how he likes to leave things and i agree with you i think that i think that you know it is an ending unto itself now you may not be satisfied with the ending but that doesn't mean that it's not an ending yeah yes yeah exactly and i, and I think that's the thing people need to there's certain separations that people don't make and I, I think part of it is because they either like it or they get a little emotionally attached to what's going on in there you know they might they might pray for a more a more calm and, you know, button, button everything down to make sure that everything is, you know, neat in a row. They want, you know, everything answered at the end of a show. When again, I, I revel in the conversation. I revel in the fact that we can still have, yeah. The, is Tony Soprano alive or dead conversation, you know, years after the show aired. Exactly. That's what, that's the, that's the fun of it to me too. Mm-hmm. Like I'd rather, I'd rather not be spoon fed the, the, the answer and be able to sit around with my friends and sit around with, sit around with other fans of the show and talk about it and mm-hmm. all have differing opinions. Definitely. Definitely. Now, I mean, one of the biggest, I know for a lot of, uh, I guess, especially black writers, just watch Watching the first episode of the show and like literally seeing, you know, Tulsa, nineteen twenty one, you know, erupting. It's a powerful, impactful statement. It's something that's you know, again, in your episode specifically, because in rewatching it in prep for this episode, it's like, damn, they really tied in. I mean, because the kid's kind of like a black Superman, but then being able to tie it from you know what we saw and we're confused about in the first episode, you know, it, it, it was. I think you know again. If you weren't Core Jefferson, you you could have really shit the bed on that one, and everything <laughs> would have fell apart. But you know, I think everything was you know tied together very very beautifully. And you know, unfortunately, these types of things come up in conversations that are happening in real life today. You know, George Floyd, the countless numbers of people who uh you know are are are, are being murdered on a regular, uh, uh, unfortunately, a consistent basis. Some of the protests that are going on, the content of this episode being so vibrant and necessary in conversations that we're having about, you know, social justice today. You know, it's heartbreaking, man. You want, you, you would hope that you would hope that we wouldn't be having these conversations literally a hundred years later, right? Like that, yes. that was a hundred, was a hundred years ago, mm-hmm. 99 years ago that the, that the opening of that pilot took place. And we're still having these exact same conversations a hundred years later, the exact same conversations our grandparents and great grandparents mm-hmm. were having. It's heartbreaking and disheartening, but I think that, it also speaks to a resiliency that's beautiful. And I think that that's something that I hope was also people take away from the, from the episode. I think that, I think that we also need to start having conversations about what policing actually looks like in this country, in our art and, and in our TV shows and in our movies. And so I think that a little sleight of hand that the, that the, that Watchmen did was, 
sort of led people to believe that this was going to be a show about hero cops. And then you sort of slowly peeled back to like, oh, there's white supremacists in this police force. And there's always been white supremacists in the police force, you know? And so showing that reality and showing sort of putting a mirror to that, I think is, is going to be important going forward also. Definitely. It's funny. Yesterday, HRAC tweeted, Succession and Watchmen describe America more than most school books right now. <laughs> I saw that. My homie sent that to me. It's Yeah, I was going to say, it's scary. How, when I remember watching Succession, and it's like, I in, in watching Succession, but following stuff like pro wrestling, the WWE, the way it's structured, their corporate stuff is literally the family from succession. If you, if, if you, 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 I was, the, the, I'm seeing like corporate structure in, 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 in the show. And then like real shit is happening. where like, you know, the, the, the Q1 financial calls coming and people are getting fired. And I'm like, shit, I just saw the blueprint for this like three months ago or whatever. Um, you Absolutely. know, I mean, is it, is, is that a passion of yours? Like going after things that can tie, like find these interesting ways of tying real life into, art or is that just how your career has gone? I think that, you know, I started out my career as a journalist. I worked for about seven or eight years as a journalist in different capacities. And so, you know, I think that I'm always drawn to stuff that feels grounded and real, even, even if it's a show like Watchmen that is so fantastical in some ways and, and genre heavy in some ways for me to be really interested creatively, like, it, it needs to be grounded in something. And so, you know, Watchmen grounding itself in like the Tulsa 21 massacre and racism in America made it like, so I was super interested in that. And I think that, you know, a show like The Good Place, which is also super fantastical and, you know, afterlifey and all these people are dead and, 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 and passing through heaven and hell, it still sort of comes from a grounded place of what it means to be a good person and what it means to work on yourself and try to, and try to better yourself and what it means to, to be a friend and, and cooperate with, with other people. All of those things are sort of compelling to me in a way that, in a way that, you know, I get excited about the material. So I think that, I think that that is, that is, if anything connects to all the things that, that, you know, besides that, Besides sort of like the grounding nature of those things, I think if anything connects what I've worked on in the past together, it's, it's just something that feels additive. I, I, I really, you know, I think that there are, there, are, there are some movies and television shows that people turn on to just turn off their brain. I have them. Again, I'm not going to name names, but there's stuff that I just turn on when it's like, I don't want to think, right? Like you've had a long day. You just want to turn on the TV and yeah. zone out. Like we all have those days and I have those shows and that's, that's great. And like, I don't want to think about stuff, but as far as w when it comes to what I want to work on, I always want to work on something that sort of feels like it's additive and makes you think about the world around you mm -hmm. and makes you think about how you feel about the world around you. Like those, those are the projects that I find most exciting when it comes to working on them, just because, you know, I think that there's always going to be stuff that you can just turn on and zone out to. I'd rather work on stuff that sort of you have to focus on like, I don't, I, I don't want to work on shows where you can text the whole time and get it. That's, that's, that's me. I don't want, I, I always have like, I'm always like thinking about like the, the, I have like dark visions of people because I do it too. Like mm -hmm. I just like, I know how much time people have worked on things 
And then just to think of somebody just sitting out there, just like looking at their phone and looking at Twitter while it's playing, like breaks my heart. Yeah. So I don't want to work on anything that you can look at Twitter while you're, while you're watching the show. The oh, no totally. laundry show. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How have you been processing everything that's been going on in the world? I guess, especially with, you know, God, the, the constant barrage of protests with, with, with police and what's been going on, uh, I guess across the world. How are you, how, how are you processing all that right now? I mean, it's heavy, man. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of therapy. I go to therapy every Tuesday morning. Shout out mm. to my therapist, Ian. He's, he's an incredible dude. And he sort of, he helps me out every Tuesday at 9am is this morning. So that's been helping me. I, I like, I've been watching the wire, which is maybe a strange choice, but I think that for whatever reason I, I was drawn to it in this time, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, seeing, I mean, the text threads with my black friends, <laughs> like those, those have been, those have been incredibly helpful in this yeah. time. Just, yeah. ta- just talking to people. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I think that the other thing is just seeing when you protest and when you make your voice heard that it forces people to come to the table mm-hmm. and change things even incrementally, you know, it hasn't been sort of overnight and it hasn't been massive radical change, but even incrementally um, seeing that people are responding has been, has been great. Is that, does that answer your question? I, I, I worry that I didn't answer your question. No, no, no. I, I think that's great. And I think it actually brings up another question, you know, that we have, and I'm again, being, you know, three men, three black men living in this situation right now, you know, you, from seeing, you know, black boxes on your Instagram feed one day to, you know, the, 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 tweets and the dms and the, and the texts from you know i mean i guess majority white colleagues you know you know extending a hand asking how you're doing yeah what's your opinion you know is is like is damon lind has damon lindelof hit you up on the side you know is that something you're comfortable <laughs> you know talking about but like you know how do you feel about you know these these check-ins from your white homies do you feel like you know they're coming from a genuine place yeah man there's, so there, there's like I was thinking about it the other day. So my, my mother died of cancer in 2016 and no, thank you. But she was sick for a couple of years before she died. Mm -hmm. And especially toward the end, you know, she's still like, you know, she's was still trying to live her life. She she liked to go out and we'd go to dinner and stuff. And there sometimes there were people would, you know, this, this happened on a couple of occasions that, you know, she was very clearly ill and, and people would come up to us when we were out and, you know, say like, uh, you know, it seems like you have cancer. I'm going to tell you about this magical root herb mm-hmm. that, that like the doctors won't tell you about. And like, you should try this. And my instinct was always to like, get up and get in their fucking face and say like, you need, I'm sorry if I swore, there sorry. Uh, but, but like my, my, my instinct was always to get up and get in their face and say like, you need to leave now before like I put your teeth down your throat because I was so so mad whenever anybody did that mm-hmm. and the the first time that it happened I didn't say anything but after after the person left my mother could see that I was really angry and the thing that she said to me that that sort of I still hold with me and, and I think about in times like this is she said she said this is this is very scary for people and mortality and death are very scary for people. And they're just trying to show love. Like they're just, they don't know how to help. They don't know what to do. And they're just trying to show love and help. And so I think that we are in scary times. Things that are happening are scary and very heavy and serious. And, you know, I think that when I get those text messages 
even if they feel like silly sometimes to me, or they, they aren't well thought out or, or um, just, they, they feel sort of uh, like they're done, they're perfunctory as opposed to coming from like a, an honest place. Mm-hmm. I think that in those times, I just sort of remember what my mom said and it's just people trying to show love and, mm-hmm. and people, people trying to show their support. And so even I try to take it, take them at their word and take them sort of say that, like, I understand where you're coming from and I appreciate it. But, you know, I, uh, if, had I not had that conversation with my mother, I think I might be angrier about it. But I think that, you know, I just, people are just trying to show love, man. That's how I think about it, at least. Now, you know, speaking of positive change that you were talking about earlier, from the protests, we're kind of starting to see it sweep other corners of society, especially including media and Hollywood and and have uh, more conversations about representation and inclusiveness and stuff like that. So from your experience as a black writer in Hollywood, what do you think the industry can do to to help lift more black voices? I think they need to hire black people. I think you need to hire black people, not just for the lowest job on the totem pole. I think you need to promote black people. I think you need to make black people co-EPs and showrunners. And I think you need to get black executives at networks hiring black showrunners and, and making black shows and giving black people overall deals. I think that you need to start greenlighting projects that aren't just about racism. Mm-hmm. The reason that I, I love Moonlight for, for any number of reasons, but one of the main reasons that I love Moonlight is because it is not about black people overcoming racism. It's just sure. about black people. Mm-hmm. It's, just all, it's just purely about black people living their life. And I think that so many, so many prestige Oscar movies are always about black people overcoming white racism. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's not just about like black people living their lives. And I'm ready for sort of more, more projects about that. It's just about like black people living their lives and what that looks like, as opposed to a story set in the 1950s. And here's the black character who like, who needs to overcome white racism in order to like get them in order to save the world somehow. It's almost like, all of these projects are just a prequel to these black people's lives. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. And I think the way that you do that is is by hiring black people to greenlight films and television shows mm-hmm. and high and, and promoting black people, black writers, and getting them in a position where they can sell their projects to two people and tell their stories. Right. Definitely. It's just, I mean, that's it's it's the simplest thing in the world, man. Just hire people. Just yeah. give them an opportunity, you know what I mean? Give them a job. Mm-hmm. And like, listen to what they say once you give them that job. And you've always made it like kind of a point to to just be a part of inclusive writers' rooms and diverse writers' rooms and diverse showrunners and stuff like that as well. There's still a lot of work to do. Don't get me wrong, but I have been incredibly fortunate to work with people who really put their money where their mouth is. Damon Lindelof, Mike Schur, Mike O'Malley, Larry Wilmore, Aziz, and Alan. Yang, they're all people who are incredibly thoughtful about having diverse writers room, about having a lot of women, having a lot of people of color. Because, you know, there's writers room where it's just one black person. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, that, that, that so many. It's like, okay, we got one. But, you know, working on shows where there's, you know, I think more than half the room, either half the room or maybe more than half the room was black on Watchmen. Mm-hmm. There was multiple black people on Good Place. Nightly Show was heavily black. There was only one white man hired for the year that I was on master of none, like these people are actually doing the work. And I think it, I think it shows 
even if you're not coming from a place of morality, even, even if, even if you're not coming from a place of like, this is the right thing to do to give underrepresented people an opportunity, mm-hmm. even if that is not your stance and you're coming from a more cynical business stance from a cynical business stance, it's better business just because having more diversity in the room makes for better stories. Yes. Having a bunch of people with different backgrounds and different ideas makes your show better. It just does. Mm-hmm. And so even if you're not going to do the moral thing, why not just do the business thing? You know right. what I mean? Right. And give because black people and women and 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 LGBTQ people like they all get the paychecks. So right. like even if you're going to do just the business thing, at least hire them and give them an opportunity. Right. You, you you don't want to be on the wrong side of a tweet or something, and then you see that there's a whole white writers room <laughs> or something. You know, at the exactly. Very least, <laughs> exactly. Co- co- cover, do it on some shady covering your trail shit. Even if it's then. just the optics. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what has Core Jefferson been working on lately? Has quarantine been productive for you? Quarantine has been productive, man. I've been, I was very, very lucky in that the Greenlit, a Greenlit a writer's room for a show that, I'm, that I've created with a, a friend of mine named Max Reed. Nice. It's a show that's based on, we used to work at Gawker. My last journalism job from 2012 to 2014 was Gawker and Max worked at, worked at Gawker for about six years. Mm-hmm. I, we overlapped for those two years that I was there. And so we are working on a, we're writing right now a show that is based loosely on our experience at a tabloid news website. So it is not, it has not been greenlit yet. We are not, we are not like, we don't have a series order or anything, but Apple so far has ordered a writer's room. So we are currently wow. in the midst of writing, writing that show. Sure. And if they like the scripts, we might get a series order. When you said, when you said it is not, I thought you were going to say it is not called Balter. Oh, <laughs> it is not called Walter either. Because <laughs> that would have been amazing. That'd yeah. be a tight spinoff. <laughs> it's a spinoff. It's a succession spinoff. No. I mean, did you get to take any of like your personal on the news floor bullpen experience and work that into, you know, any of the ideas that came into the Walter stuff on season two of succession? Yeah. I mean, we talked a lot about, uh, because there was another writer on there named Will Tracy, who who used to work at The Onion, okay. which was also owned by Geo Media. We We never overlapped, but... But he had the he had this similar experience. So Will and I talked a lot about our personal experience working at that place. I was luckily lucky enough to get out of there before the private equity got in and started uh-huh. really messing everything up. So I wasn't there, but I did. But I I I sort of said if you, on top of everything, I was like, if you really want to make, if you really really want to make Kendall look shitty. It sh- they should be unionizing and he should convince them to not unionize because that was, <laughs> because that was when everybody in media was like, especially unionizing back then. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, they, they should be unionizing and he convinces them to not unionize. And then he just crushes them. I remember watching that episode with like five or six other friends in media and it was uh, completely triggering. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Man. I was, I didn't even work in media anymore and I watched it. It was triggering. <laughs> yeah. It's horrifying, man. <laughs> oh, from that, and then it also had like the great, like granular details. Like when he was talking about the KPIs and it's like, Oh Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was, I was exactly. saying the Monday morning meeting was coming up on Saturday or Sunday night. <laughs> You're also working on station 11, right? How's that been going? Yeah, that's done. That room was, we wrapped up that room in January. So right, which was, God, man, if I, if I, if I had had to write the pandemic show during the pandemic, it would have been a nightmare. That would have been, <laughs> that would have been so bad. We had no idea what was awaiting us when we wrapped up that show. Yeah, but I think we had shot 
four of the four or five of the episodes before everything came to a halt. So okay. of a ten episode season, so half of it's half of it's been shot. I think we're just waiting on on everybody to approve shooting again before before we shoot the other half. Mm-hmm. But uh, that was great. It was I had never. I never worked with Patrick before, but Patrick was a writer on The Leftovers, which is how and he and I met via our mm-hmm. sort of Watchmen connections. Mm-hmm. So I worked on that with him and and a bunch of other writers who are great people. I think we went for like 22, 23 weeks on that. So we started late 2019 and, and went into January. But it was it's great. I mean, I'm I'm excited for people to watch it. I think that it's probably also going to be a little scary and triggering as you said for people just because you know it's about a global pandemic it is like very very seriously about a global pandemic and what happens at the, after the fall of humanity mm. so it may be it may be harsh <laughs> for for some people but you know i think you know i i heard that everybody's my i had homies that were watching contagion at the start of all yes this. I yes never, i don't I get never that watch. yeah, yeah. I, would, I don't yeah. get it either like why yeah. do you want to terrify yourself what are you yeah. doing I actually, I actually watched Twelve Monkeys for the first time. Oh, the oh other wow! Day, and I didn't know pretty much anything about the movie. And I was like, "Oh, this." this movie wasn't <laughs> yeah, <bad>. <laughs> <laughs> started crying. <laughs> Terrible. What? What? If, if you're not watching Contagion, though, what have you been watching? Did you, did you get a get any get any good bitches in during the quarantine? Yeah, I rewatched Mad Men, which I love. Okay. Everybody's doing that. Yeah, it's about. To, I mean, I think tonight it goes off of off of Netflix. I think Netflix. Oh wow! Is, I wow. Think midnight tonight is the is the, it ends, and then I I'm, I hope it pops up somewhere else just because it's my favorite. Yeah, been rewatching The Wire, which mm-hmm. is so incredible, man. The Wire is so 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 good. What else? Oh, The Americans, which I had never seen before. So those Ooh, those last wow. two rewatches, but I had never watched The Americans before. I've never done that. Americans is great. Yeah, you never that. watched The Americans, Fraser. I did the first two seasons and then I just fell off of it oh, okay. out of like disinterest, you know, like TV glut. I yeah. Happened, yeah. I got to go back. I, gotta I, watch love, it too. I love, you've never watched it? No. And I've always said, I mean, it's always critically acclaimed, always great things you hear about the show. It's just never took the time. There's so much. Yeah. There's, there's so, so much, much to watch. No, I get it. There's tons to watch, but it is. It, the acclaim is worth it. It's the acclaim is real. It comes from a, it comes from a, an honest place. It is, it is really, really, really good. It mm-hmm. is the writing is the writing is strong. The performances are great. It's the, you know, I, I, I watched the pilot years ago mm-hmm. and turned it off. Cause I'm not like a huge action guy. Mm-hmm. I was, and it was like, there's like the pilot starts off with like a chase scene and they're like, and like a fight scene. And I was like, oh, it's not really like it's just felt like a cop show, you know, and I was like, it's just I don't not like interested in like a standard cop show. And I had people who were like, no, you should go back and watch it, go back and watch it. And so I went and rewatched it. And it's like the more you get into it, you just, it's just, it's about a marriage. It's about a family. It's like about a man and his and his wife and and sort of how you how you maintain a relationship over the course of like mm. trauma and like years together. That's that's it's it's more about that than it is about spy games yeah. and it's once i sort of started to understand that i really loved it it's great mm-hmm. you watching movies as well yeah here and there i mean the at the end of a long day I, sometimes movies are way too long to watch but Sorry. what have i been watching recently i watched this movie called with Nolan and i this weekend have you guys ever seen this no, no. 
It's on HBO Max. I hadn't seen it in like 15 years. It's really good. It's like a movie where nothing happens. You have to be willing to go along for that ride. It's like, it's just a dude and his friend who are both struggling actors in London in 1969. Mm-hmm. And they just go away for a weekend. And one of them is like a real heavy drunk. And the other one is just kind of le- a less heavy drunk. And Withnil is the crazy drunk dude. And his, and his homie is the one who, uh, who doesn't drink as much. But that's good. I watched this movie, Frankie, this Al Pacino Frank movie, Frankie and Johnny, the other night. You mm, watched that? Yeah, I've watched that before, but I feel like it was a while ago. It's but, all right. It's I, I didn't love it. I didn't yeah. love it. I didn't. I have to admit, I didn't think it was that great. Yeah. But you know, it, it, I wouldn't rush back to watch that if I was trying to watch some Pacino. Yeah, Al Pacino yeah. is like Al Pacino is incredibly charming. He's Al Pacino, and Michelle Pfeiffer is 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 uh, Frankie. Yeah, she, you know she's incredibly charming in it, but it's not. It's not my favorite movie that I've watched in a while. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of what else. This is this. I always, every time I'm asked this question, I always mess it up because I'm always, I always <laughs> yeah. forget what I've been watching. Well, you mentioned Netflix. Did you watch Uncut Gems since it dropped on Netflix not too long ago? I haven't, man. It was t- that I, the, that movie. The first time I watched it stressed me out. I can't, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was too much. It was too much to stress about these days. I don't need. I don't need to be stressed out while I'm watching TV. Either. I feel you. No. <laughs> that, that, yeah. Love it or hate it, that's the one critique everybody has for that film. I mean, good, good time too. I mean, good mm-hmm. time. Good time is. I felt the exact same way. I just that's there. I loved. I loved Good Time. I thought it was such a good movie, but I I haven't been back to revisit it just because it's like you know it's. I don't it just. I feel like my blood pressure goes yeah. up every time. Yeah. You're running with them. Yeah. Exactly. Been playing around with the idea of writing a feature yourself. You have any? Core Jefferson features in the desk drawer that you're going to pull out one yeah, of these days? Yeah, man. I, I, I have. I, I think that the – I haven't been putting a ton of effort into it just because TV stuff has been taking up time and also because, you know, I have no idea if this is true or not, but everybody says that TV is very much a writer's medium, whereas features are not, and mm-hmm. that features belong to directors and actors, and that sort of writers are not – writers are not necessarily valued the way that they're valued in television. Wow. So that if you want a writer feature, you have to be willing to write it and then just like let a director take it and say like, okay, this is mine now. Thanks. And then the director runs with it. Okay. Um, and so I wouldn't necessarily be, well, yes, I would, I wouldn't want that. So if I do write a feature, I want to make sure that it's with somebody that, you know, wants to be collaborative, wants to work with a writer, wants to pitch ideas back and forth, or, you know, eventually get to a place where I could direct something myself. I don't think that I'm there yet. I think that I've never, I've never directed something. So I don't want to start smaller than a feature. I want to write a stage play. I want to write a bunch of stuff, man, but it takes time. (laughs) You say the least. Trying to get your your Kenya Barris on. <laughs> Basically, man. Yes, like that. That that dude. That dude's got like seven shows going, and plus like three movies going at all at all times. It's crazy. I don't How know does he do it? Shonda, all of them. When I see their their list of projects that they're working on, it's just like, man, how do you? Plus, they have kids. I don't even have kids, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. It, I mean, and it's not even disrespect. I think Kenya might have a project for every kid he has. Basically, right? It's not even this. I think think that's fact. I think that's fact. You know, speaking in the spirit of collaboration, too, what was it like? I'm interested in your experience on the last season of The Good Place, only because it kind of represents like a different experience because you're bringing a long running show 
to a close in that regard. So how is that? Because that, that's a deal where it's like a legit, you know, there's no question if it's coming back like Watchmen or something. It's like series finale. Yeah. Five or so years. That was, I mean, that was sad because I had worked, I, I didn't start there in season one, but I started on season two. So I worked with those people for three years and it was the longest I'd ever worked on a TV show with anyone. And so, you know, it became sort of a real familial atmosphere. I, I started to really, you know, love those people like brothers and sisters. And it was also sad because of the content of the show, the, the sleight of hand that the good place pulled off was that it, for, it, it allowed you to forget that all those people were dead, mm-hmm. that you were, that you were sort of watching dead people. And so what the finale had to do was just kill off all of your favorite, like it, it wasn't just like a finale where one person dies. It was a finale where all of them die. Like everybody <laughs> that you've like grown to love over the past four years is dying. Good. And so, yeah. And so, uh, it was sad for many reasons, but it was like I said at the beginning, I, I think that it was also when I started working there in season two, I remember Mike Schur saying, I think this is a four season show. Mm-hmm. So he had it all like mapped out in his mind. He was like, I don't think we're going to go past four. Mm-hmm. And you know, I didn't know if he was going to stick to that, but when we got to season four, he was like, yeah, this is going to be the last season. And so I think that it was sad, but also you got to respect that, man. You got to, you got to respect, you know, you got to respect when people say like, this is a story that I wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. I've told it and I'm ready to move on and go do something else. I, I, I wish that, I think that, you know, there's a lot of money to be made in this industry, particularly if you have shows that run nine, 10, 11, 12 seasons. And so once you just have that gravy train going, I can understand why it's hard to say like, I don't want you to back up the money truck to my house anymore. Like, like, you know, but that, that when people are able to say that though, and say like, I don't want the money truck in my house anymore because I want to, I think I've told the story that I want to tell and I've done the work that I want to do. Like, you know, I think that that's, I respect that. I, and I, I was, I was, uh, like I said, I was, I was sad to see the characters go, but, but I respected mm-hmm. Mike's decision and that show, you know, that show is crazy hard to write too. You know, it's yeah, so but- complex. You're, it was basically like, you know, we were talking about in the room. It's like, we're inventing the afterlife. We're inventing, like, you know how many religions have tried this for thousands of years to like answer these questions. And we're trying to like, it's so hard to do. It's so hard to invent the afterlife. And so like coming up with all these like complex storylines was getting like incredibly difficult also. So as somebody who's like, you know, who's like also is, was in those rooms for some of those conversations. It's like, I'm not, you know, trying to like add a fifth season on top of like the house of cards we've built is like, yeah. it's, it's okay if we're not going to do that. It's too much, way too much. Well, I, I guess finally, you know, to, to full circle all of this, especially what you, you were just speaking about now, for someone that wants to be, you know, a core Jefferson, following your footsteps, what do you have advice for writers who are trying to get put on today? I would say the first thing is to... Here's what I'll say. I'll say the first, the first thing is to, I think that especially like people, black people, other people of color, women, LGBTQ community. Like, I think that those people should understand that like you have a story to tell, but I think that, that people, your stories are valuable. I think that sometimes that is, that is a, that is an obstacle for people thinking that they, that what they say is invaluable and their stories aren't valuable and interesting. Like get, get, get over that. Like your stories are valuable and interesting and your life is valuable and interesting just the way that any other 
50-year-old white dude writing TVs, life is valuable and interesting. Mm -hmm. So once you, once you uh, surmount that, then I would say just write. Write a script. Read a bunch of scripts. Find scripts that you – find five script, five TV shows that you really like, five TV shows that you really hate. Find scripts for those shows and read them. See what, see what people do in them. See their tricks. Utilize those tricks when you, when you go forward and you want to write your stuff. And then once you've read and watched a bunch of TV and seen what you like and what you don't like, sit down and write and just write and like actually write. You know, I think that, I think that there's, you know, I've talked to people before who it's like, they, they talk to me about their ideas and I'm like, that's great. You should write that. And then it's like, they don't write that, you know, mm. like it's like, they don't go off and write. Like you have to write and sit down and write. And through the act of writing, you're going to get better at writing scripts. Like I've just, you know, I've been doing this for six years now and I still, a couple months ago, I sort of realized that even since last year, I'd gotten better at writing scripts. Like mm-hmm. I was, I was editing something that I was writing. And I was like, Oh, even, even a year later, only one year, like I've already, I've already grown a lot. And like, I was improving, improving this thing in a way that just came naturally. It wasn't even something that I really thought about. It was just something that I've just gained some fluency in. And so actually sitting down and doing that writing is going to help. And then once you do that, actually get it out there and be willing to share it. And there's, you know, the blacklist is right now, especially because uh, blacklist run by Franklin Leonard, there's no, you know, this gets into the weeds a little bit, but every professional writer fired our agents back in last year because of like sort of discrepancies between the WGR guild and, and the agencies. And so we all sort of, had to fire agents. And because of that, there's not sort of like a lot of middlemen. And so there's, I've heard a lot of like agents and managers and stuff going to the blacklist and like looking for underutilized talent and like mm-hmm. reading that, that people, that people are putting on there. That is, you know, I have no idea if that's actually the case. I, I do not work there and mm-hmm. I, I've, I do not have access, but I've heard that I've heard that people are actually utilizing that site mm-hmm. and you know, there's other ways too. You just, you just sort of got to get your, get your work out there and put it in front of people once you do all that. But yeah. And, but I think that the most important things are like believing that you have a story to tell and, and actually writing that story and getting it out there. I think that, you know, and a little bit of luck helps. I'm not going to, you know, I will, I will tell the truth and say that there are, there are people who work really, really hard in every profession and do not succeed in that whatever profession, because luck helps no matter where you are in life. So a little bit of luck helps, but sitting down and writing a great script will help will go a long way. Definitely. Cord. Well, Hey, thank you very much. For taking the time. Thank out. you guys for having me, man. I appreciate it. I really do. Yeah, it was dope, great man. talk. Great I guess, talking uh, to you both. Uh, 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 award season. <laughs> two week, two week. Fingers crossed. I mean, yeah, man. Fingers are always crossed. I mean, the, these <laughs> the, the, uh, I would be incredibly grateful to be recognized for the, for the work we did. It, it is, mm. you know, I still wake up every day feeling so, so, so lucky to, to do the work that I do. And, and I'm, I'm saying that honestly, I just, I feel like I feel incredibly, incredibly lucky. And so to have the, if I got the, the, the respect of my, my colleagues and my peers in that way, that would be, I'd be incredibly grateful for that. Well, yeah. Thank you for coming through. I really appreciate having you. Thank you guys for having me. It's really great talking to you both. Yes, sir. You too. Take care. Don't you love it when a plan comes together? Okay, we, we mentioned it during, you know, the interview and in the, in, in the conversation we had with Core that 
this was something we were wanting to do. You know, we, we, we talk about it a lot, our, our, our list. I don't want to keep bringing it up, but you know, we knew that the conversation with Cord. I think Fraser, you said it yourself. You know, getting Cord in this type of environment would be a, a, a major plus. Yeah, when I talked to him, you know, mm-hmm. as dope as the conversation was, it was just like, man, you know, it was fun to write that, but it immediately felt like something that could just live on its own as a podcast. Like we should have just dropped that phone call. Yeah, <laughs> we should. We we, we we what we needed was a dirty SoundCloud. With like a fake complex logo on it, quick intro and then just drop that shit on the right. post. We could have revolutionized the whole game. But yeah, you know, yeah, Court is definitely one of those great talkers. Always got a lot to say, and uh, you know, with mm-hmm. each passing moment, he has his irons and even more fires. Facts, facts. It's going to be very interesting when uh, people really start to take notice of you know what he's building, what he's been building again, like over the last like five, six years. I mean, if the Emmys get it right, they will soon. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing. You know, it's the world is still moving on. So Emmy season is right around the corner. You know, his episode of Watchmen is definitely something that should be in the running. I don't think there's really any question. And when it comes to Watchmen and its relevance, you know, this is something that we get into him, into with him in the episode. But we've seen people over the past couple of weeks saying how, eerily prescient and even more relevant it feels unfortunately Mm -hmm. given everything that's going on and then you know you can't make this kind of stuff up not too long after we talk to him news comes out that trump is going to have his first rally in a while in oklahoma on juneteenth in tulsa in tulsa pretty much the site of a horrific you know event like black wall street which was a lot of people didn't even know was a thing yeah. or the scale yeah. of it until Watchmen. Mm-hmm. 100%. And even even having grown up knowing about what went down, looking at it, the way it was depicted, it was almost perfectly depicted in Watchmen. It, yeah. You felt like you were in the middle of those streets ducking gunfire and, and explosion and everything. It was just very well done. And again, I... I I don't want to jinx anything. I really don't. But it feels like with the conversation that's going right now, going on right now, this particular episode taking that real life stuff and manifesting that into you know a work of art or you or, or incorporating it into a work of art, it feels like the most relevant thing if you're looking at what the best TV of the last year was. So we'll see. We'll see another. You mentioned very relevant to the conversation on Friday, Dave Chappelle and Netflix out of nowhere dropped damn near, it was what, 27 minutes. I guess he did a whole ass show earlier this month. Yeah. Just not too long ago, even it was on June 6th. Yeah, it was. He said in the in, in the beginning that it was the first concert thrown in America since COVID-19. And they made sure to point out that there were a lot of people with masks. They were, they were doing temperature checks when you came in. I mean, it looks like they had seating very spaced out. I don't know how big the area was, but the space between him and the audience and then the audience between each other, it seemed like there was a good distance, you know, in, 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 in a number of circumstances. But outside of all that, the content was the key here. He actually makes a point in, in, in the special to say this isn't funny at all. And I mean, you know, Dave Chappelle recounting so many black deaths at the hands of the police. 
and framing it in a way to make them understand why there was no other recourse but an uprising in Black communities across America. It was very, very smart. I think it's probably one of the smartest ways I've seen, you know, this scenario broken down. I don't know if there's any way you can, if you're a police officer, I don't know if you can be shown a situation where you responded in a certain way to cops being murdered and then black folks response when black folks are being murdered by cops. Like it's, it's, it's heavy, you know, it's, it's for a comedian. It's again, it's not really funny. It's not really funny it at all. It definitely is not what I was expecting on a press play. No, and it, there's some jokes. But very much needed. I think Candace Owens catches the brunt of his fury. Deservedly. Deser- very deservedly. I don't know how... I'm, I'm assuming Dave Chappelle's very into like numerology. Yeah, the the tie-ins all like blew my mind. Like We're talking about yeah. Watchmen. That was like some Dr. Manhattan shit, like 824, 846. Yeah, yeah. The, the 846 was really... I don't know. I'm assuming he knew that and that's why it really affected him. But then, cause he says that early in the special and then later on he ties it in with the Kobe and Kobe's Jersey numbers. 824, his birthday. Breaking down why he didn't go to the Grammys. I mean, it all, it all makes sense. I think it was very beautifully done. I've seen a lot of people loving that he was reading it mostly from a book. I'm assuming he just wrote this shit. Like, when he came out with the book, I thought it was going to be more like, you know, when he goes to the comedy cellar and tries out new jokes. Like, I thought he was just bored and cooped up these past few months and wanted to do what he would normally do at the comedy cellar just yes. for free on Netflix. That's that's exactly what my assumption was with it. I think, you know, you all, you always know with Chappelle, you, you know when a lot of the, the greats are coming out with a special because you're here on the underground, oh shit, Chappelle popped up in the cellar. He popped up, you know, somewhere he's doing a tour, da, 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 da. COVID-19 deads all that. So like he has to figure out some way to work out whatever is going to turn into the special. Cause it, it, there's a reason why it's available for free on Netflix's YouTube and not on Netflix property. They didn't do, I don't, I don't think they did any press for this at all. It kind of just appeared. I woke up Friday morning and it was just there. And on IGTV. And it, it's in full on IGTV as well. I think so crazy that's that's uh very smart and um speaking of youtube uploading stuff or netflix uploading stuff to youtube i did notice they do because they have that black lives matter collection on netflix proper they have a playlist on their youtube page as well and they not only dropped ava duvernay's uh, 13th documentary but there are some other things that they're, they're dropping in full as well so you know i think you might want to check that out periodically i think like a number of different companies at this time they're they're allowing people access to that content that speaks to racial injustice and social reform and things like that to uh you know help better educate people about these things yeah our boy al shipley had a great tweet about that he said netflix saw the the streaming data and said here's a bunch of things that you can watch that's literally all better than the help (laughs) facts big facts shouts out for that yeah i think that'll do it for us this week as always, you can catch Watch Less on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Wednesday mornings, bright and early, uh, we got you covered. Shouts out to Core Jefferson for uh, taking the time out to speak with us at this time. I hope all of the 
uh, awards bodies are, are, are taking notice of not only again not only the content but the conversation that surrounds it very important if you like what you're hearing content wise on this podcast like comment subscribe rate review share tell a friend to tell a friend please boost the signal we appreciate all of your support for Fraser Tharp my name is Cal advising you as always I don't care what they've opened up in your area bring a mask bring some sanitizer stay as far away as you can while you're trying to enjoy yourself because motherfuckers are still catching the corona don't get it twisted COVID-19 is not done feel me tune in and watch less Peace. Watch Less is hosted by Fraser Tharp and myself, Cal. Our producer is Taliba Newman. Our associate producer and sound engineer is Jasmine Plata. Our editor is Tyler Boltheis. Our production manager is Chancel Correa. Our talent booker is Anthony Allred. Our junior booker is Austin Bailey. Our director of talent relations is Kristen Price Harrell. Senior Director of Operations is Jen Stewart. The watch list is a part of the Complex Podcast Network. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. <laughs>